With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, Hawkeye fans, and we are back with another edition of uh, the Hawkeye History Podcast. And uh, really, I'm happy every week whenever we can get a guest on, but uh, particularly happy this week because I haven't talked to this guy in a while and uh, was uh, somebody I really enjoyed covering during his time as a Hawkeye. And uh, I'd like to bring him on now and welcome to the show. Uh, James Vandenberg, former Iowa quarterback and uh, via, via Kia Cook High School. So, James, thanks for joining us today. No, oh, thanks for having me, Rob. It's good to, good to talk to you again. Yeah, it seems that the, the years just kind of fly by. It seems crazy that you've been away now for how, – how old are you now? Yeah, so I am – I'll be 30 this fall. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's a number that hurts. Yeah, well, wait till you hit 50 like me. <laughs> <laughs> that really hurts. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, time flies. And uh, um, I like to start, um, uh, I've been starting these podcasts kind of what, give you know, with the guests giving us an update of what they're doing now. So why don't you tell the listeners uh, what you're doing now? I, I know you've got your business uh, your everyday, you know, your day, your day job, so to speak. And then also the, uh, antler athlete. Can you kind of touch on both of those for us? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my, my real job, which is not antler athlete, unfortunately, um, <laughs> is I work with RBC wealth management here in Cedar Rapids. So I work with a team of two other advisors and we have two assistants and we basically take higher net worth people that are entering retirement and make sure their money, last them not only to the end of their life, but then that it passes to their estate, to their beneficiaries in the most tax efficient way. So I, I was a, a pre-med guy at Iowa actually. So it's funny how I ended up here, but I was a, a finance minor. Um, I'm a guy who loved Vanguard from like age 18 on. So it's <laughs> always been a passion of mine. And I feel really fortunate to kind of be in a profession where there's obviously the investment aspect, which I've always enjoyed, but it really similar to most things. It's a relationship business. And I feel like we have great people that one, I get to work with as coworkers and, and team members, but to our clients, we, I mean, we love our clients and there's a lot of people that are like family that are, are clients. So um, that's kind of what I'm doing for a real job. Antler athlete you brought up. That's an interesting thing that kind of got sparked out of nowhere. Quite frankly, that was post uh post-college well during college when I when I would hunt everybody would want to see pictures they'd want to see what did I see what did I shoot where did I go so on and so forth so over the years I had been filming some stuff I took a lot of pictures and I had never really thought about turning it into a social media thing until me and Brent Metcalf actually former Iowa wrestler had become buddies post-college and we had been hanging out we had done some charity stuff together and hunted together and we basically had a conversation and he had been keeping logs of this stuff and I had been keeping logs of this stuff. And I said, basically, I was like, I'm thinking about starting just like a YouTube channel or an Instagram just to have an outlet to put this stuff. So I don't have to text it to 73 people every time <laughs> I do something. And 
long story short, we both basically agreed that day that we were going to do it. And on the spot, we came up with a name and thought it was somewhat catchy. And I don't think either of us had any intention of it actually kind of becoming what it did, but it was an outlet for something we were already doing. And, uh, but yeah, it's just a way to share videos and pictures and adventures. I mean, we've been to Montana together. We've been to Wyoming together. Um, I'm going to New Mexico this year. We're both going to go to Wyoming together probably next year. So we do a lot of traveling and we like carrying a camera. So it's just kind of a way to share our outdoor adventures, um, via hunting, fishing, so on and so forth. Nice. So you're on Instagram. What other platforms can people find? Instagram, Brent kind of runs our Twitter. So if you don't like what you're hearing on Twitter, you can blame it on Brent, (laughs) who is an Iowa State employee now, by the way. Oh, and uh, that's right. Yeah, he's coaching over there. Yeah, he's a wrestling coach. uh, The second kind of guy in command at Iowa State. So. Um, so Twitter and Instagram on that, Twitter, and, uh, Instagram, and YouTube and YouTube okay. and Instagram. We'd definitely be the most active on all okay. of our videos you can find on YouTube, but we do a lot of posting on Instagram as well. And have you had other uh, former Iowa athletes or current Iowa athletes that have been gotten involved with you with that, just in terms of just going out on a trip with you or anything like that? Not really. Um, we've had a lot of guys like approach us that wanted to do something mm-hmm. and it just hasn't really worked out in the cards yet, whether it's guys that are still in the NFL and don't have the flexibility or in general, you get to my age category, you start, well, married kids, right. life is kind of coming at you <laughs> fast. So it's hard to coordinate schedules, but I think there's a lot of both of our former teammates that kind of love it. And <laughs> I'll get a bunch of text messages if we post something or put up some video. And so it's, it's kind of been fun just to connect with people from that. But we had originally talked about making it an outlet for like all the guys who hunt in college and then post-college is just a medium for them. And it kind of got hard when we really looked at that idea. It got a little bit hard on how we were going to control content and who was going to do what work. And so mm-hmm. we really weren't ever seeing it as something on like we were going to make a living on. And quite mm-hmm. frankly, we don't even really expect it to make that much money. But if it'll cover one hunting trip of ours, then great. Um, that's kind of yeah. how we saw it. <laughs> have you been, is it, are you, have you been kind of an outdoorsman your whole life? Yeah. So I grew up bow hunting and quite frankly, there's pictures of me with a fishing pole when I was a year, year and a half, but bow hunting was something mm-hmm. from about second or third grade on was just a complete passion of mine. And as sports got more serious, it just became kind of an outlet. It became a vent where I could escape and kind of just be me. And, um, it was always a nice little thing. And in college, that is something I, I did as well, although you have a lot less time in college. But now that my falls have kind of been given back to me after, I mean, high school and college, I've tried to take advantage now of, of doing it more than I got to do over that, that time span of my life. And that, that will kind of transition into um, your high school time now. And uh, when did sport were sports always when, when I talk sports, I mean, more football, basketball, baseball, but things like that, yeah. traditional sports. When, when did that kind of become um, uh, a, a main part of your life? Yeah. So it's a, it's kind of a good question, but really it's as long as I can ever remember, I did every sport. I was a four and five sport athlete during like middle school and high school. And 
my parents, uh, pre me ever coming to Iowa where mopeds were popular, the day I turned 14, my parents gave me a moped and said, we're never driving you to a sporting event again. You can now drive yourself because I would, I mean, I, I can remember in the spring, um, I would wake up, go to football weights, go to school, go to basketball practice, get done with basketball practice, and then either go to tennis or baseball as they would start before the season started. And I would leave my house at five 30 in the morning and get back to my house at nine 30 or 10 at night and do it five days a week. And I loved every second of it. But the logistics of allowing me to do all of that got complicated. So mm-hmm. I had a moped. I loved every sport. I'm a huge believer that you should play every sport. They all kind of provide something a little bit different. Um, basketball, baseball, and football were my biggest, but I played tennis as well. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I loved all of them. I actually, I mean, baseball and football were what I was probably best at. And it it got to be where both of them wanted more year-round attention and I was kind of steered by my former um, baseball program to, to, to get rid of the other sports because I was probably better at baseball at that point in my life which mm-hmm. I was a ninth grader that weighed 113 pounds so I wasn't <laughs> very good at football and there was no I loved football and we had success and I was on a great team. I just loved it, but I was probably better at baseball. I was playing varsity baseball and they encouraged me to concentrate more on baseball and that I had a potential career in baseball. And I think unfortunate for them, it backfired. And I basically said, you know, I think I really want to concentrate on football. I love it. I loved all my teammates. Um, I, I was lucky. I had such a good group of guys in high school that, I just loved it. And I never knew I'd get the opportunity to play college or let alone division one. I was 112 pound kid. Like I said, I just, I loved football. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of, I guess my sporting background. So at what point you obviously grew at at some point. I did. I I grew slow though, Rob. I was, hell, I came to Iowa at 176 pounds. I definitely was not, your prototypical four or five stars, six foot three, 205 pound high school kid. I was, I was 118 pounds as a freshman. I was 140 pounds as a sophomore. I was 160 pounds as a junior. And I can, I got over 180 very briefly my senior year. And that was, I mean, working at it. I was, I've always been kind of a picky. I don't eat very much. I'm kind of scrawny in general by nature. So (laughs) that was one of my biggest battles was always gaining weight. Um, and then I got to Iowa at 176 and left it at the combine. I weighed 226. So, um, yeah. that's kind of, I don't weigh 226 anymore though. In case you were wondering that immediately fell off. Um, but yeah, I, I, I slowly grew and, um, got a little taller every year. I mean, but I didn't break six foot until I was probably a junior. Um, and then it ended up being about six, three is where I, where I ended up measuring that. But yeah, coach Doyle has a knack for putting that, putting those, putting that mass on even the, the skinniest people. Oh, he does. And you know, <laughs> a lot of it's just the maturity. I think you go through at that point in your life, but not only the food they feed you, the supplements, the shakes, but when you, when you work out, um, as much and the intensity that they, I mean, 
want you to work out at, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, just naturally you put that many hours in the weight room and you start building muscle mass, which you just don't do in high school, especially you don't do in high school if you're playing three, four sports cause you don't have time. <laughs> right. Um, so at what point in high school, James, did you start to get attention from colleges? Um, you know, the first time I can remember it was actually when I was in between my freshman and sophomore year. So I was going in my sophomore year, I was starting to grow a little bit at that point, And we had a good friend of the family that was pretty co- close with the Nebraska football program. And they had a quarterback camp, which was a little bit rare. And it was only a QB camp. And they did it. I mean, you, kids from all over the country came. Mm-hmm. And I went to that and I did very well. I, I, I vividly remember some of those upper level guys that were going into their senior years of high school. And they all ended up being division one type guys that started at division one. But I was going into my sophomore year and I, I, I think I competed really well and long story short, after that camp, I started immediately kind of getting recruited by Nebraska. Um, that was coach Callahan. So that was a couple coaches ago for them, but, um, he started, they started writing me letters. I would get, um, basically they were my first kind of look at recruiting. And then, you know, I don't really remember when Iowa came I mean, I, I split time. I played the majority of time my sophomore year, but really didn't break out until my junior year but I was being recruited by Iowa before my junior year but just not probably as aggressively as Nebraska um and yeah Iowa State never recruited me so it really was <laughs> it really was Iowa and Nebraska and um so let's focus on that kind of when what was that that period like where you know both were interested both wanted you what was I, I, you, I'm sure you've told me this, but like I said, I'm over 50 now and my memory yeah. used to be, and just kind of what, what was yeah. that path like? Yeah. So it, it was interesting somewhere in there, Northern Illinois came out of nowhere and they gave me my first offer, I think after my junior year. Mm-hmm. So I had an offer from a division one school, but you know, I, I think there's, um, those programs are smart and I'm not I'm not saying this in a bad way at all but if you're an Iowa kid unless you are very special physically so you're a big powerful DN running back and also has kind of the skill set to go with it you're just it's hard to garner national attention in my Mm -hmm. opinion um but I was a scrawny kid so I definitely didn't have national attention but in my opinion, how the whole recruiting thing works is the longer they can wait to offer you, the the less you are on the radar. But as mm-hmm. soon as you get a division one offer and, and you see this all the time, or I remember seeing it all the time is you'd have some kid that had no offers and he gets one offer and then you get six offers. Right. And it's almost like if somebody signs off on you as being legit enough, then all of a sudden everybody else will throw their ring, their hat in the ring just in case you want to come there. <laughs> um, and so to Iowa, smartly to their credit one i was scrawny and hadn't proven anything but two it's like why would they try to put the cart in front of the horse and make it more public than it -hmm. needed to be because that's only going to bring in other people um and so i'd say my recruiting was very low-key i loved coach morgan to death i just went to his retirement party here last week and that was awesome but i loved coach morgan he was like a grandpa to me and i mean kind of my younger siblings always thought of him as a grandpa but um, Nebraska, I loved getting recruited by them as well. 
um, at some point when you're getting recruited, you get to this point of just somebody give me an offer or quit talking to me because <laughs> you, they tell you how much they like you and how good you are and how much they like you. And, but how much do you like me? Why don't I have an offer? And at some <laughs> point, I mean, I consider myself somewhat patient. It just, it wears on you. And I didn't have an offer from either of them at the beginning of my senior year at the midway point of my senior year. And then right before the playoffs, or I don't know, it was October high school football, end of October. Um, I got a letter in the mail from Nebraska and it was a scholarship offer. And wow. I remember just thinking, and I got it at school and I'll, it was, is a surreal moment. I couldn't believe it. And we want to offer you a full scholarship to come to the university of Nebraska and so on and so forth. And I was just blown away. I didn't think it was going to come in a letter, which that was probably a little bit of a red flag to me, quite frankly, <laughs> that somebody didn't call me and say it, but that was kind of when it started. And then I went through the playoffs and we were fortunate enough to win the state championship. And like I said, I was on a good team. And the day after the state championship, literally the morning after, if I remember correctly, Coach Ferentz called me and let me know that they would like to extend a, a scholarship offer to me um, and that they'd love to have me. So I was in a little bit of dilemma. I mean, not dilemma, meaning I loved one or more than the other, but it was I hadn't I always knew that if Coach Ferentz offered me, I couldn't say no. I just. I respected him so much. I respected how he went through the process so much. Um, I, I loved everything about Coach Ferentz and what he stands for. And what made the decision really easy is I wasn't going to do anything until I was done with high school football. So Nebraska was going to have to wait for five or six more weeks, no matter what shook out. But what ended up happening is the same weekend that we won the state championship, was the same week in the college football schedule ended and they fired their coach. Mm -hmm. And so they fired coach Pelini or coach Callahan. And then coach Pelini ended up being the coach a month or two later. Um, and during that time, that was super easy for me then to go with where my heart always was, which was with coach Ferentz. But, um, I did like coach Callahan. He was a super offensive mind, a very quarterback driven coach. It was kind of interesting to hear him talk to quarterbacks. Um, mm -hmm. But once he was not even an option, there was zero chance I was going anywhere, but Iowa. And, and it was all for coach Ferentz, quite frankly. I just, like I said, I believed in what he stood for and I, I loved how transparent he was through the whole process. And yeah, there was a little chip on my shoulder thinking, why didn't this happen three months ago, six months ago, I would have had a lot less stress in my life, but right. it all worked out. And I, uh, I ended up where I should have been. So you get there 2008, uh, summer 2008, I guess. And then that fall, I guess your true freshman year was an interesting year in that I believe Jay Christensen started that year as the starter. Yeah. And then the Pittsburgh game happened. And then, you know, stands, he ends up being, well, what was that like for you kind of watching that as a, as a first year player? Yeah, that was, I mean, I was drinking from a fire hydrant with information <laughs> and offense and I was competing with John Winky who came in with me. So that's right. That's right. I don't even remember a ton of it to be completely honest, but I mean, I remember Jake and I remember his strengths and his weaknesses and I obviously became great friends with Ricky and I know Rick's strengths and weaknesses. And I mean, Rick was somebody that, the team just gravitated towards um 
and I think that was what ended up being the deciding factor. I mean, people just love to play with Rick and he had this looseness about him, but also a seriousness about him that people loved to, to follow. And, uh, it was fun watching that battle. But like I said, I don't, I don't remember a ton of it because I don't remember much of my first year of college, quite frankly. You had enough on your plate. Yeah. I remember, I remember Sean green, just trucking people, just, uh, the run at home against Purdue. Oh gosh. The one where he, I don't know, he truck sticked one or two guys ended up going 65 or 70 yards, even playing with him. He always, he didn't, when I would be with him, he never seemed as fast as he actually was in the game, but, he would yeah. run away from people in the game. And I remember him as much as anything. Yeah, he had a couple of runs against Wisconsin that were crazy, too. That, that At home, I remember one around midfield that he just – I remember Coach O'Keefe told me, he said, you know, the unique thing about Sean is I, I that they were watching film once, and Sean could tell him what they were doing on the second and third levels. So he could see stuff going on back there – as he was running through the line. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's, that's just a lot of times that's stuff you can't even teach. They're just, that vision is just special. Yeah. Vision and balance. I mean, yeah. the backs that have that balance is that's a deal breaker from getting, I mean, three yards and turning it to seven. Those guys right. can stay on their feet a little better. And Sean had both, but then Sean was big. Yeah. He was just, he was a big dude. Um, yeah, that was a fun. That was fun getting to be around him. So then you get that year under your belt, and I guess it went pretty well. You're you're kind of you know moving up the depth chart, and then 2009, you guys are just cruising. Yeah, and I was I assume that you're just kind of the you know the uh, apprentice to to Rick at that point, and then boom, the Northwestern game happens. Let's go back through that. Tell me. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, I that was just happy, happy go lucky back up on an undefeated team. I mean, um, and then in one play, Rick goes down, and I think I, they scored a touchdown on that play and kind of took the lead. And yeah, it was that, like that, the first it, or second it, quarter. It was like a simultaneous thing. Um, Boot right, and w- I think w- was it Corey Wooten? Was that Corey the guy? Wooten? You're a hundred. Yeah. That's exactly who it was. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so then I come in and we're down, and I just do the right thing right away. I throw an interception on my first pass of legitimate football. Got it out of my system. Um, and then I think, I mean, we didn't do anything on offense. Darrell, we almost got on a double move, I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I do remember is I remember Wegger broke like a 70-yard touchdown run, and it got called back. Mm-hmm. Um holding on Raphael Eubanks, which I remember he did not hold at all. And coach Ferentz was so pissed, but (laughs) it did get called back. But quite frankly, we didn't do anything on offense. We didn't really deserve to win it, but those are the little things I remember from it. That was also, and I know where you're going next with uh, Ohio state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk about roll right in that, what the prep week of prep was like, and then just getting, you know, out there at the shoe. Yeah, so we lose the Northwestern, and that became kind of a funny, famous story because I ended up going to Bass Pro Shops that day. That's it's right. like my birthday. And I do the, remember the, that story. the guy basically sees me, and I was dressed up, and he goes, man, were you over at the Iowa game? And I said, <laughs> yeah, I was. And he basically was like, was it as rough in person as it was on TV? And I was like, you have no idea, man. Like, <laughs> But, yeah, you, then you lead into the next week, and it's Ohio State, and it's – two ranked teams Ohio State was ranked in the top 10 we were 
probably barely just out or we were right there too. But I mean, to win the big 10, to go to the Rose bowl at Ohio state, uh, afternoon ABC game. I mean, a lot of NFL players on those two teams, two very good football teams. And I mean, I remember some of the words of advice Pat Anger give, gave me, which was just like, don't lose this. You'll ruin my <laughs> career if you do. Um, but no, in all seriousness, I, I mean, I remember the night before when we uh, went to the stadium, we always do a walkthrough and all their lights were on the stadium because it was just like dusk. And on the 50 yard line, they had left either a bouquet of roses or I a couple that. roses. I'll never forget that. That was like when all of a sudden it hit me like, oh my gosh. And then <laughs> quite frankly, the game started and I I couldn't tell you that. I mean, I remember it, but it, it was a fast paced game. We did some things well. They fought back. Um, I mean, McNutt, I threw him a slant and a fade. Darrell returned a kick. Yep. We went to overtime. I took a terrible, terrible sack. Um, and they kicked a field goal for the win. I think we went back to play. I mean, I think we had a running play and lost like five or six yards. We went into shotgun on like second and 14 or 15 and I got sacked. And then we were basically out of field goal range as a toss up on field goal versus Hail Mary slash try to get a 18, 19 yard first down. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I get asked about that game a lot. It's something that I think sticks in a lot of people's heads, not necessarily mine as much. It was, it was obviously an awesome one um, to be a part of and just being at the horseshoe in that environment. Um, I never realized even really how loud it was until we lost. Like once we lost, it was like all of a sudden, whatever screen was over me came off. And I just yeah. remember how loud it was when they rushed the field and fighting through the field that there was fans on, but, uh, certainly something that kind of baptized me and Iowa football pretty quick of, I mean, an experience that, I mean, how many people get to experience that, let alone their first start. I mean, mm -hmm. your first start is with that on the line against that team with an awesome team. I mean, and we lose a great game, um, but a really cool experience to think back on. And then the next week against Minnesota, I think Kurt uh, had you hand off like 50 times. Yeah, <laughs> we, we handed it off a lot. It was super <laughs> ugly. It was a 9 9-3, 12-6. I don't know. It was, I think you guys had 12, I think. It was, yeah. I don't remember what Minnesota had. I think we had like 150 or 60 <laughs> yards of offense. I don't remember it being <laughs> something we got very many accolades for. But we won the game, and that's what we needed to do, and that got us the Orange Bowl bid. Mm -hmm. um, so then the next year, you didn't play much in 2011, right? Ricky was pretty healthy that yep, season? He, he, he was healthy, yeah. So then um, – or no, that was 2010, 2010 he was, he was healthy and yeah, 2011 we you get you take over at that point yeah um obviously the pittsburgh game is the one i think that sticks out for a lot of people that must have been a that must have been gloriously fun for a quarterback to be able to do what you were able to do that was yeah and that was the first time that was the first hawkeye game like my in-laws had ever came to so they picked a good one um mm -hmm. Yeah, that one is one that I do remember a lot of. And I remember how bad I was playing and we were playing. We really couldn't get any rhythm. We would get a drive and we'd fumble. We'd 
convert on a third down and drop it. We'd convert on a third down and I'd miss them. We'd convert on third or could convert on third down and get sacked. I mean, it was just, it was one of those games where every time we actually needed to do something, we kind of dropped the ball mostly on our own behalf. And with like four minutes left, we just went no huddle and uh, no huddle meant I got to kind of call from the (laughs) slate of plays and we basically were going to throw the ball every time too. And yeah, we just, I don't know. It's something, it's kind of like basketball when you see it go in and it just keeps going in afterwards, you get in a rhythm and it's not just a QB. I think there's also something with the O line and a tempo. And then obviously with receivers and we just got into a rhythm really quick and we scored and we got the ball back and we scored and we got the ball back and we scored again. And the last two of them were to Martin Manley. I think the one before that was to Keenan Davis mm-hmm. all down that same end zone. But um, yeah, that was, that was a flurry of, I mean, emotions, the different stakes that were on it. I mean, once we went to no huddle, we really started moving the ball. None of those drives were even very long. I mean, they were longer drives that we were chunking out three or four plays and scoring. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it was running an all verge type concept. And that's what I threw to Keenan. And that's what I threw to Cavante twice. And they kept staying in a single safety hook. And I mean, they they didn't cover the seam. They just, the safety wasn't getting there enough and so yeah that was a that was a cool one yeah i'm sure pitt that wasn't preparing for game prep for no huddle and you guys throwing the ball all over the place no yeah keenan <laughs> and derby and marv had a lot of catches i mean yeah. so um you know you guys had um some tough losses that 2000 2000- 2011 year, but you know, some promise going into 2012 and then off season, all heck breaks loose assistants leaving coach O'Keefe leaves. Um, that really hadn't happened to anybody else, you know, quarterback wise during the, you know, Kirk Ferentz's Iowa tenure. What was that like for you? Kind of that upheaval, you know, I, I wouldn't really call it an upheaval. I would, I mean, coach O'Keefe, I remember when he called me and, and told me what he was deciding he was going to do and you know I was excited for him and his opportunity and when we hired coach Davis I was hired I mean I was excited to to get the opportunity to to work with him and play with him um I think what probably everybody discounted was just you can know the x's and o's um but getting a a feeling for a coach and a coach getting a feeling for his personnel isn't something that sometimes happens overnight and so I think there was a lot of adjustments by coach Davis and me and the line and the, I mean, it was all new terminology and all new ways of numbering things and of reading things. And it's still football and it's a lot of the same concepts, but you do it in a slightly different way. And I, it, it was just one of those things where I think there was a, a little bit of a period of adjustment. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't blame anybody for that. And I certainly don't think that's the only reason we had failures. Um, there was a lot of responsible parties, including myself. But I mean, you look at that season and we just didn't make plays when we needed to. We lost a lot of games in that season were close games that we just found a way to lose. Right. Indiana, Central Michigan, mm-hmm. Northwestern. We, I mean, we weren't getting blown out. We got blown out of Michigan, but we really weren't getting blown out. We just didn't quite have what it took in any of the phases to win games. And I certainly take a lot of that responsibility and I know coach Ferentz and that whole staff would take responsibility as well. Um, but it was just, 
you know, when you have Coach O'Keefe and he's been there for so many years, there's a certain just normalness. There's a rhythm that you're used to. And Coach Davis definitely came in with a different, just a different philosophy. And he believed different things. Um, and he had come from a completely different system with different types of players. And I think anytime you marry together things like that, it there's a little bit of getting used to period. And I think that was probably for everybody involved, meaning I needed to get coached. I mean, used to coach Davis, coach Davis needed to get used to, I mean, the personnel that we had and, and coach Ferentz is trying to do the right thing by giving, um, I mean, new ideas, a chance through coach Davis and Mm -hmm. it it all ended up working fine. But I, I, I think there was just an adjustment period that we all went through and, like I said, I don't think that's anybody's fault, and that's certainly not why we lost games. But you bring in a new coaching staff and a, or a new OC and new terminology, that's just part of the deal. But I loved Coach Davis. I loved um, – I mean, he came from a gunslinger mentality. He came from a um, throw it all over the yard. And I don't think we just had the personnel that fit his probably dream scenario. I mean, mm-hmm. he come from Texas and – what they how they build a team from an offense defensive specialist i mean wide receiver running back perspective that's not how we had been building teams so i don't Mm. think we exactly fit into his mold and i don't think he had really come in maybe i don't want to say he didn't come prepared but i mean going back to the more traditional mold of running the ball and under center that had been something he had been removed from for a while so (laughs) they got it figured out um and we got it figured out. We just didn't execute enough. So there was pain points, but I, I loved Coach Davis. He was easygoing. I mean, super easygoing, big Southern accent, <laughs> would always tell stories about Vince Young and Ricky Williams and some of the, the greats. And it was, it's not something I ever think, man, I wish Coach O'Keefe would have stayed for a year. I mean, I love Coach O'Keefe. I'm still friends with Coach O'Keefe. I'm glad he's back at Iowa, but I don't blame him for leaving and I don't blame coach Davis for the reason we stunk it up in 2012 but (laughs) that's one little piece of it and it's it's I mean it is what it is and you gotta adjust and we we didn't adjust enough on anybody's part to to win more games yeah and that I think a lot of people would be bitter that because hey this was my senior year and you know I had to go through this you seem to have reconciled it was that something that you were able to do in the moment or is it something that kind of over time in retrospect you kind of have been able to yeah. reflect on and say if, you know if, this if is kind of it is what it is yeah if, I, if I'm being completely honest it definitely took time I mean you're 21 22 years old you're a captain you're a guy who's been there four or five years all I wanted to do was win games for the University of Iowa and coach Ferentz and probably for my teammates more than anything and when you don't do that whatever reason it is you're not doing it inherent blame should and I mean it's going to come on the QB it's going to come on the coach it's going to come on the whole team right and when that's your last go round at it it you know it stinks it was I, I remember that last interview after Nebraska and I don't remember who was asking and I was kind of tearing up and I was tearing up more from the fact that it's like, I knew there wasn't anybody in our locker room that it wasn't cause guys didn't run hard. It wasn't cause guys didn't work out hard. It wasn't cause there wasn't a lack of, uh, of effort just for whatever reason, 
we didn't do the little things in a lot of those games to win them ultimately. I mean, it's funny how many college football games, the ones you win or lose, they come down to, they literally come down to eight or 10 plays. And there's the whole theory that, oh, you don't lose a game in one play, but six or eight plays generally change momentum. They, they do a lot of different things. And we didn't do what was necessarily on a lot of those six or eight play stretches. <laughs> and mm-hmm. whether that was, like I said, offense, defense, special teams, I think everybody would absorb the blame, but it took time. It was something that I had so much pride in how I tried to go about things and how the program went about things that I took it personal. And I, and I, I mean, I think that's probably a good thing, but I think it's also a good thing that I've, I've come around and realized that there's a lot of positives I got from that. That was a good life experience. When you're 22, you don't realize that it's going to be a good life experience, but as cliche as it was, it really was a good life experience. And it, it kind of tossed my world on its head. And, you know, ultimately eight years, nine years later, that was good for me. And I grew a lot as a person from a maturity standpoint. And it was, uh, yeah, it was painful, but I can look back on it now and, you know, it is what it is. It was one year in my life and it was one year of a five-year career. And I still couldn't be happier with where I went and what I got to experience and playing for coach Ferentz. I wouldn't, take any of it back even if you told me i had to go through another four and eight season (laughs) (laughs) no i i believe me you know i was standing there in that pack in front of you after every game and every tuesday and i admired you cut you you showed up every week and talked to us and put up with our stupid questions and uh you know i i would imagine like you said it was a learning and growing experience i think we all grow from adversity and that's probably um a good way to look at it yeah, it was, you know, and just like I said before, you're, you're 22, that's your whole life at that point. And, and it was, and that's why it hurts so bad. And you put so many hours in, that's why it hurts so bad. And you know what James Ferentz did and Micah Hyde did and James Morris and all mm-hmm. these guys put in so much time and then you don't succeed. So that, that hurts, but you fast forward and you, you have kids and you get married and you go mm-hmm. through other life changes and you realize that that is a big part of my life. And that always is going to be a big part of my life, but it's not my whole life. Right. And yeah, time heals all things. It's cliche to say, but it does. And I've, I've loved getting involved back with the program again. I still stay in touch with everybody. I live here in Iowa city, Cedar Rapids. So, I mean, I'm not far removed, but there was, pain that inevitably came with that and that took a little bit to heal but it's uh it's gone now and I can I can look back in a a super positive light on what I was able to do but more of what I was got to be a part of for five years and that'll be something that hopefully I'll get to tell my kids about and they'll get to tell their kids about and so on and so forth and I may have this wrong did you get a were you a free agent tryout with the Vikings yeah yeah so I I was a free agent tryout with the Vikings. I had, I don't know, eight or nine opportunities as a free agent. And I can't remember why we ended up going with Minnesota, but we went with Minnesota. And you know what I, I realized in the NFL? I mean, it's it's even more political. It's funny. It's like the higher up you go, the more political it gets. And the <laughs> NFL is super political. And you can be on an NFL roster and or practice squad and or – I mean, what I'm trying to get at is guys in camp, it might not matter what you do. There might not be a shot you're ever playing. And there's other guys that are there and they've either got a contract or they've got experience and it doesn't matter how bad they do. They're going to be there. And so 
you kind of realize that really quickly with the NFL. Um, but I had a great opportunity at Minnesota. They were never going to keep anybody but Matt Castle and Christian Ponder. So no matter what I did, it didn't really probably matter unless one of those guys broke their leg, which they didn't, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and then got to I got to do some tryout stuff with the Dolphins and the Packers and the Rams and ended up being in a following camp the next year with uh, the Panthers and just kind of set a date that, if I wasn't on a team by this date, cause I was getting married, I was going to be done. And mm-hmm. that date came and I wasn't on a team and I accepted a job and I got married and I had three or four teams call and want me to come to fall camp that year. And I told them, no, I just, I, I knew I could chase it and I knew I could make it if you get a break, quite frankly, mm-hmm. but I was okay with, I mean, starting the next chapter of my life and there would have been money involved with the NFL at a very high rate at a very young age, which is obvious. But Mm -hmm. outside of that, I was I was okay with not getting fired every two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) So did you meet your wife at Iowa? and how many kids do you guys have? Yeah. So I met my wife at Iowa. She's from North Dakota. Um, we have a little girl named Poppy. That'll be two here at the end of June. Right on. And then we actually are expecting a little boy here at the beginning of July. Congratulations. Yeah. So we're about to be playing man to man (laughs) defense. (laughs) Yeah. I've got, we've got three. And once you get past the the one to two is a heck of a jump. It's like a whole, you're like, Whoa. And then (laughs) that two, by by the time you get to two to three and you're going, you're like, you said, you're playing zones, zone defense at that point. And then you're just like, yeah, with the third one, you're like, yeah, well, yeah, she's chewing on the dog's bone. That's fine. Yeah, she's alive. We're still good to go. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think uh, I've heard a lot of times one is one is and two is 20. So we're going to get to experience that jump with a freshly two year old um, here this summer. So that'll be fun. All right, right on. So, um, yeah, I've kept you longer than I th- what said I was going to. Oh, uh, you're fine. I'm going to hit you with five questions. I call this the high five. We do this at the end of the podcast to kind of take you down memory lane a little bit again. Yeah. Um, your favorite place to hang out in Iowa when you were in school, uh, excluding restaurants, because we're going to get to that in the second question. Excluding restaurants. Oh, man. Quite frankly, hanging out, I lived with four other guys, three other guys, kind of out of fourth, but we would play Nintendo 64, so when we weren't (laughs) doing football or school, we would all be on the same couch playing either Mario Kart and or NFL Blitz on -on two-on-two teams against each other, so that was like (laughs) one of my favorite things to do in college. Okay, so question two, your favorite place to eat? Favorite place to eat, gosh, in college it was probably Poncheros. Oh, right on. It was cheap enough, um, yeah. and it was a ton of food, and yeah, Doyle <laughs> was pissed if I didn't weigh enough anyway, so I might as well go eat a four-pound burrito. <laughs> uh, number three, your favorite course and or professor in school? Course and or professor. Oh, man, I was in the sciences, so I was on the pre-med track, so I had a lot of dry professors, not a lot of personality there. I took an entrepreneur course with a guy named Joe Salentic. That was a blast. Um, had a ton of fun. Got to think about a, a lot of stuff like out of the box. I'd say that was probably my favorite class I took. Cool. And you touched on this a, lo- a little earlier, but you didn't name names. Who were your roommates in college? 
So I lived with Greg Castillo, who played mm-hmm. corner. Mm-hmm. I lived with Trent Mossbrecker, who mm-hmm. was a kicker. And I lived with Jack Swanson, who was a safety. And then yeah, Florida. During, yeah, Florida. So those were your four, like, the those, main were my, those were the four main guys. And then we, for two different summers, when guys were transitioning, we picked up uh, Steve Bigak for a summer, two different summers as he was transitioning between leases and couldn't get it lined up. Gotcha. So he kind of slept on our couch for a summer. Um, and then lastly, your favorite, it could be a Kirk ism, like a saying or story or something you remember from, from Kirk um, that sticks in your head to this day. Gosh. Um, Oh man, he had a lot of great sayings and a lot of hand gestures that chewing bubble gum that sticks out to me, man. He <laughs> chews the heck out of some bubble gum, but you know what? I think I, I can't think of coach Ferentz without thinking of two things. And, and one of them is just watching how he would treat the janitor all the way up to the Heisman trophy winner. If we would have had one, I mean, mm-hmm. he was so consistent with how he treated people. That has always stuck out to me. That's always been something I've wanted to hopefully exemplify in my life because I watched him do it so well. And then the other thing is, and I only bring this up because I get asked about this all the time, but, oh, he, he's, not, he's not as rah-rah as the Iowa State guy or whatever. <laughs> all You can ask anybody that ever plays for Iowa football. I think we all would say the exact same thing. Like Nobody puts in more work and cares more than Coach Ferentz. And then when you win games, especially big games, getting to see him let a little emotion out in the locker room. I mean, tears, Mm -hmm. that's something that you just, you realize, like, I mean, we already knew, but you know how much he cares and how happy he is for both you and the program and the university. And so those are things that just, that stick in my head. There's probably tons of funny stories I'm missing out on, but I say when I think back to coach Ferentz, when I talk to him now, and when I get to think back of what I really took away i mean those two things i mean he he cares more than anybody and he treats people extremely extremely fair and he just he would stop and talk to anybody if they want if they wanted to talk to him he would he would never blow you off ever and that's i mean you would know this a guy in his situation the income he's able to make in a state that doesn't have a professional team i mean everybody wants to talk to coach farron so Mm -hmm. Naturally, it'd be, I think, my tendency to say, hey, get lost. I can't talk right now. I've got to be with my family. I've got to go. He never does that, ever. Maybe he does it to the media occasionally, but he doesn't do it to other people. I mean, he just, he is too respectful. And I've always valued that in him. So, no, that's well said. That's uh, well said. That the dry, his dry sense of humor and self deprecating. Yeah, he's got a super dry sense of humor. (laughs) All right. Well, James, we ran this thing 40 minutes, 45 minutes. We, I told you a half hour. So I really appreciate you going down and doing this with me. And uh, um, great catching up with you. And for the listeners out there, again, check out Antler Athletes if you're outdoorsman. Um, if you need financial help, what was the name of your? Uh, your uh, it's, it's, it's RBC Wealth Management, but the team I work for is called the Corridor Investment Group. So, gotcha. so yeah, we're a so five person team. Yeah. Look James up. He, he loves getting your everybody's business and uh, doesn't have enough work to do and with his young family. So give him some That's more. The truth. Some more. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> All right, James. Thanks again, man. We really appreciate you doing this for us. And uh, hopefully we run into you down the line here at a Hawkeye game. That sounds good. It's a lot of fun, Rob. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, man.